Max Hall and Melbourne Football Club, you're listening to the Coaches Panel. This is Nat Fife from the Fremantle Footy Club. Trent Cochin from the Richmond Footy Club. Scott Penderbury from the Collingwood Football Club. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. Patrick Cooch from the Carlton Footy Club. It's Rory Sloan here from the Adelaide Crows. This is Tom Mitchell. You're listening to the Coaches Panel. It's the calm before the storm. The pre-season games are almost officially landing. Opening round and then for us in the AFL Fantasy and Supercoach community... Round one is when it all gets serious. But in this calm before the storm, some decisions can be made and need to be made that will ultimately impact the direction of your 2024 fantasy footy season. Hey, it's MJ from the Coaches Panel. I hope you will. And welcome back to another strategy episode. Today, specifically focusing around the AFL fantasy nuances, but super coaches. Don't panic, A, because there's going to be some great content that's coming specifically for you still this preseason, but also every single element of what we want to unpack on today's strategy episode, the parallels are equally viable as important. So super coach players, stay with us, because although you're going to hear a lot of AFL fantasy numbers and data points, equally as important for us to talk about in the world of Supercoach. Joining me on this strategy episode, he's been part of the coaches panel ever since it started. Rids, nice to chat to you and lots for us to unpack when it comes to the preseason strategy of these next couple of weeks. A big week, big, big, big week, mate. It's been massive this week, yeah? Hey, listen, just um, I'll let you introduce the other guy and then I just want to jump in after that and make a public apology, okay? So I'll let you do the introductions first. All right, and also on this episode, back after gallivanting across the globe, it is the man that has won more fat, ha- fat hats in AFL fantasy than pretty much anybody I actually know. It's Mini Monk. Hello, mate. How are you? Fat hats? I haven't heard that fat one hats. before. Is it, is it like fat cats? Yeah, let's go with that. Sure. Let's go nah, with it's that. good to be back. Let's get into it. All right, Rids, get into your apologies and whatever you want to say because there's a ton of stuff we want to hit through this episode. Okay, so Monk told us a couple of weeks or months ago that he was going to go jet-setting across the world. Like, he's going to take his two hats on this tour, world tour, he called it. He called it the Fat Hat Tour, Monk style. Anyway, I was thinking, okay, what's happening here? And he said, I'm going to take my miso with me. He calls it miso. Everyone else calls it wife, partner, missus, not Monk. Monk says miso. He's going to take the miso with me. And I got really confused. So I asked him, does that mean you're going to prop the question or something? And he said, no. And because I'm really old, I get confused and forget stuff pretty quickly. And I took that as a yes. And I might have broken it on Fanatics last week that Monk got engaged and for everyone to congratulate him. So I just wanted to reach out and say, I just want to issue a public apology to Monk. He didn't get engaged to Miso, but that's coming soon. Radio. It's well, not because she said is... no, it's because there was no question asked. <laughs> the good news is I think most people realise that it was a joke, Rids, but that's... thanks for the apology. Uh, all right, boys, there is a ton of stuff I want to get through. I want to talk about cash cows with you. I want to talk about ownership percentage. Um, there's a particular player that has really divided the community. Some are equally bullish. The other side of the coin are really unsure. I'm, I'm alluding to Sam Flanders. We want to talk about him. But at time of recording, we find ourselves in this interesting junction of the preseason. We're at the space where intra-club matches are now a thing of the past. 
The official preseason game that teams get is next week at time of recording. And we're in this weird weekend of football where it's match simulations, where we're seeing 40-man, 30-man squads, seven-period games, weird rules of how people and coaches and teams are approaching it. It's a weird weekend of football to really observe and digest. So before we get any deeper into some other elements, what's your lad's first initial reflections from these practice games, match simulations. We can learn something from them. We've got to be obviously show a little bit of caution and care, but Mini Monk, maybe we'll start with you. What's a handful of your top reflections after watching a couple of these games? I think we're really trying to watch for role. Uh, You're trying to look at the role that players are actually getting and being aware that players' roles aren't dependent on just how, you know, just where a coach wants them to play, but like they're trying different things. They're trying to see, can we slot this player down back or up forward if we need to do a rotation? And who's missing from squads? Like the, the biggest one for me was like at the Swans, you've got Jordan who's playing wing and center bounces. Goulden comes on and he plays a half. Mills isn't there. Adams isn't there. Like it's really hard to read the mix of CBAs from that because it's just like, what's going on? So you're trying to look and see like, right, if this player comes in, where would this other player go to? And I think that that kind of, you know, blurs everything. It makes it really hard to get a good picture. But if you can look at where a player is and say, right, this is the role they were playing at the end of last season. They're still in this role during the preseason. Chances are they're going to play at the start of next season. I think that's a good place to start. So if we look at players that are doing that, someone like, I don't know, Cam McKenzie or I guess Ollie Wines playing a bit more as a CBA midfielder. We saw that, um, you know, Mead spent a bit more time in there for Port. Crouch spent a lot of time in there for Adelaide. Is this things that are going to hold through to the season proper? I guess we've got another preseason game to figure that out, but that's the type of thing that I'm looking for. I'm looking for role changes. I'm not cared about what a player is scoring. I'm not cared about what a player is doing. I'm trying to say where are the roles, who's missing, how does that all add together and give what the actual team is going to do come round one. Uh, what about for you, Rids? Any quick top line reflections from round, well, the first round of preseason games? I just love that footy's back for a start, okay? Before I get too negative about this, I just want to be positive. Footy's back. It's close. We can smell it. It's only around the corner. This is the time you can overthink, though, yeah? Because we have had this few months period where we haven't seen footy for so long. We're all so excited it's back. Come on. I've seen the most useless stats on ever, Time on ground in a sim, which is a glorified training. Are we serious? Points per minute. minute, CBAs. As Monk just said nicely then, they're trying things to coaches. This isn't a game of football. This isn't for points. This may or may not go into the season proper. But I'm seeing things like Finn McGray having CBAs at the highest volume when there's massive holes in that Collingwood midfield. Yeah, we spoke about it for Dacos the other week, didn't we? We said, okay, we got Jack Crisp going back. We got Tay Adams disappearing. Who is in that discussion to take up those mid-minutes for Collingwood? The only two names I've heard is Dacos Increase and Finn McRae. So what am I looking for in these sims? I want to see high CBAs for Finn McRae while he's learning that role to go into the season proper. That's sort of, that's what I sort of want to see, okay? That's about it, though. Please don't take this the wrong way, but time on ground for a sim when people are trying to get their loads up and everything else, 
wowee, we're overthinking now. Uh, who would have thought that the fantasy football community would be so desperate for information that they overthink and reflect on elements? Minimug, anything else before we move on to uh, the ownership conversation I want to have? I just want to say, like, Rids is 100% correct when he's talking about that time on ground because it's never been this like this this year. Like, we have a preseason game, a practice game, a preseason game, and then they go straight into round zero. There are eight teams that only have a week turnaround between when they play their preseason game and when they go into playing a game for four premiership points. So, of course, there's going to be load management. Of course, they're going to be just giving, you know, some of their star players a couple of quarters or three quarters and only 60% time on ground or 50% time on ground. But who cares? Does it matter? Is it really going to be like that come round one? Of course not. Of course, it's not going to be like that. So don't read too much into those stats and say like, oh, but Rory Laird only played three quarters. Oh, but Matt Crouch only played two quarters. Who cares? It doesn't matter. There's plenty to learn from. I remember during the 50 Most Relevant, which if you haven't gone back and checked out the audio or the video episodes, you can go and do it. We built it in such a way that based on the elements and evidence you see through the preseason, it has all the variables of conversation. So we talk about a Finn McRae, does he get points or not in this role or not, a crisp or not. We unpack how that works. So you can go back and check them out. But I remember having a conversation with both of you guys, uh, Rids around Nick Dacos, Minimunk was around Hayden Young. When we talk about ownership and this critical tipping point that it gets to so i really i'm curious for you both we've now seen some games seen some data points to learn certainly there is an element of follow the leader in the community or, or group think whatever you want to refer to it as um is there a player or some players that from an ownership perspective we now need to either start seriously considering to take on or seriously have to consider changing our mindset and forcing a way to frame them into our sides. Rids, we might start with you on that first. Let's talk about this ownership dilemmas that I think people aren't really thinking about as much as potentially they could. Okay, so there's an obvious one, yeah? There is a guy, and it's all going to come down to round zero. It's going to be Sam Flanders. Like, he's already at, like, a high, high ownership anyway, if he pops 120 in round zero, I guarantee that's doubling in ownership straight away. That's the guy that I'm the most worried about because he's ceiling. We've seen his ceiling. His ceiling's there for days in the right role. With this, and we've seen him. He's pretty much had those. He's the fourth mid in that CBA rotations of Gold Coast looking at the Sims just recently. Yep. He's not changing. We've seen the demo comments. He's the one that I'm keeping the most eye on at this point in time. That he's the one, MJ. That's the one you're worried about. So, so talk to me about it because ownership's this weird, fascinating thing. And maybe it's two sides of the same coin, Mini Monk. But you can look at a guy that you're not sold on or certain about, like a Sam Flanders, and go, I'm happy to take him on. Equally, you can look at the other side of the coin and people remind themselves of what a Nick Dacos did to them last year. They're not the same players or anything like that, but the ownership is at that critical tipping point where you're like, if I take it on and it doesn't go my way, man, I feel like I'm going to be playing catch up. So, so where's this critical tipping point? Because I think Rids is right. He's the guy that I think people are really uncertain about or at the other end of the scale, they're so bullish they cannot be moved. So does ownership split it for you? It's really tricky to just go off ownership alone because I like to look at players and 
think about them as if they can take the season away from me. Is there ever going to be someone who is the player that at a price point and with their scoring potential that could put 100K on their price, 200K on their price, depending on the format, put 150 points, 200 points on me in the space of a couple of weeks. And that it gets to the point where it's critical, where you just can't get onto them. And Nick Dacos was that last year because he just got away so fast. And that comes with ownership as well, because if it's 40% of the competition that's on that player, that's very different to if it's 4%. 4%, you can rein it in. There's going to be enough people that will make mistakes. You can probably still salvage a good rank. 40%, you're not going to salvage everyone. You're not going to be able to bring that back in. So then you've got to look at, right, well, what is Flanders' scoring potential? What has he done when he has the role? And if we look at the back half of last year, from round 15 around 24, he came back into that squad. How many of those games could you say he took it away from you with where his price point is now? It's 88 in Supercoach. It's 90 in AFS and DT. If For him to take it away from you, he probably has to go 120 plus, maybe 110. There are three games in AFL Fantasy where he went 120 or more. There are three games in Supercoach where he went 120 or more. They were against the Blues, the Roos, and the Saints. Hmm. The Ruse and the Saints are going to give up a lot of marks to be able to go there. And that is exactly what we saw. We saw him get 12 marks against the Ruse. We saw him get seven marks against the Saints. And against the Blues, he had five marks, but he also had a you know a relatively even score build. He had 36 touches in that game. It's ridiculous. Now, then we want to look at what is he coming into at the start of the season? Well, round one, he's playing against Richmond. Relatively friendly for halfbacks. But they're playing on the Gold Coast. It's a 420. It's either going to be hot and then they're going to come into the slot. That's a bit scary there. Hmm. Round one, they play against Adelaide. Eight o'clock at night, up in the slop. Is he going to get a high mark game? Pretty hard to tell. And then round two, he has that game against the Dogs at Mars Stadium. And, you know, we always talk about it. Weird things happen at Mars. Hmm. So then you want to think, because we know that that buy is coming at round three. Can he take the season away from you in three games? Can he take the season away from you in Supercoach with one price movement or in Dream Team with one price movement or AFL Fantasy with, you know, the double price move in round one and then another price move in round two? And you've got to have that conversation with yourself and be realistic. Is he the type of guy that's going to end your season after two games and you're never going to be able to come back from that? I doubt it because basically no player can do that. But is he a player that could be a top six forward and his value at his price? Absolutely he is. So it's about balancing those two things. There's also another dynamic to this, MJ. Yeah. Another dynamic as well. Don't forget, there's also the use of that trade to get him in. Is there anyone else that pops? Are you going to miss someone? Okay. Is it, and we know that it's, who is it um, that's coming off the round two by, sorry. Um, Uh, Brisbane and Brisbane and Carlton. Okay, so is it going to be a tunstool? Is it going to be like whoever that's pops that you have to absolutely get into your team? Okay, what does that look like if you start Sexton and Flanders? There's a whole heap of variables here, okay? Like is it Sexton the guy that you want to trade into after the buy, not Flanders, which would heavily weight this decision about starting Flanders over a Flanders and then there's another dynamic as well. Is it FOMO? Is it because everyone else in group think is talking about it so bloody much that I just don't want to miss this guy because everyone loves him? Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. 
For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, I think, I think it is starting to get to FOMO levels because of the comments that came from Dimmer. That was directly look- mentioning Supercoach. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, when you when you get the comments from Dimmer hyping him up in the process, like, of course, a new coach is going to hype one of their players up. Of course, he's going to get a bit of love. He's a player that's going to be the fourth banana in the midfield. He's a player that showed a lot in the back half of 2023. Of course, they're going to want to make him look good for 2024. But if you look at ownership, you do the comparison of ownership from someone like Flanders to someone like Dacos. Dacos is still more owned in both Supercoach and in AFL Fantasy. Is probably a bit less owned in what I would say is the active community, but there isn't the hype train going on here because he's not that lower price. He's not priced at you know ninety. He's Dacos is priced at one hundred eight and one ten. Like it's a very high price tag. So people know that you know there's risk associated with it, but people don't want to have that conversation with Flanders. People don't want to worry about the fact that he might not be as good as people think he will be because they like to have an anchor point at F one. They like to have someone that that they can rely on and say this player will get me through the early rounds. He's a top six forward. I don't have to worry about that. They don't. They're worried because last year we went from a year where we went from five. I guess, top six forwards that we already had locked away to start the season. And now we might start none. Like there's a genuine conversation to be said that this is the year where you don't need to start a top six forward in your forward line. And that scares the living daylights out of people. That is what people are probably scared about as much as it's FOMO, as much as people perceive the upside, as much as people just want to hear the narrative that supports the conclusion that they're having. People just don't want to be able to, people just want to sleep at night, I guess is the way to think about it. And guess what, how they sleep at night, MJ? They use the words keepers. They use the words, I want to hold someone for the whole year. And I did that on purpose for Monk, okay, because he caused a bit of an uproar not just recently. But that's how we usually do it because that's how we used to think of it. We want to start the guy that's value, that's going to be a season-long keeper, and I'm going to hold him through thick and thin no matter what happens till the end of the year. Even if he has a bad stretch, Mm, stick fat. Stay with him. You pick premiums to stick with him. You don't trade out of them. And we did it ourselves. We had this conversation a million times last year just with Rory Laird. Yeah. Okay. But the fact of the matter is the game has changed. People have to change their mindsets. We're not looking for value guys anymore to be season-long keepers. If that's what happens, you beauty, yeah? That's icing on the cake. That We all want that. That's what we're hoping for. That doesn't mean it's going to eventuate. And that doesn't mean that we weren't able to trade out of a Bontepelli at top price last year. If anything, we saw it in years gone by that we are actually suggesting to people to trade out when they hit top value, top price. Goulden last year, maybe that's a bad example, but he actually at one stage was priced at 10 more than what he was averaging at some stages. Like that's the sort of risk versus reward type setup. And it's all about the risk versus the reward when it comes to ownership. When does it tip over to being too risky not to start? You know what I mean? When you get that hurt factor. And Monk said it beautifully just a minute ago. It's the hurt factor. Because don't forget, when we pay 80 or 70 and they go at 100, that's still only 20, 30 points upside. 
Correct. I don't think Flanders has that upside about him priced at 90 this year in AF. So that's what I just wanted to call out there. And it's interesting yeah. to me, we've also had some other guys pop up from this buy round that are now adding a, a further layer of elements. I, I think Mini Monkey Engine and Alex Sexton is in there. There's a Connor Buderick who has now come through and shown some really nice signs. So we've now got three guys, let alone if you're even considering any GWS giants to roll through your side or in a Matt Rowell or anything, even a Tuke Miller, depending on the format you play that, that's popular. Like it's starting to build up as quite a challenging little block for us here, Mini Monk. Like, what if Tom Green pops a 150 and he's the guy that you want to get onto instead? What if, you know, Lockie Whitfield goes 120? What if Harry Himmelberg has the role and goes 95-100? Like, there's a lot of what-ifs that can come about from round zero, and you need to be flexible about that. But you need to be realistic about what a player's ownership... Sorry, I just had a massive motorbike go back behind me. But what Good if we riding get... Ones. Don't players? lie. People oh. can see it on the video. We can see. Absolutely. But like, what if that was actually just um just cross? I got a live camera there. That was the miso disappearing because there was no engagement proposal before. So, anyways, back to you, monk. Oh, it's gonna be like the hair, isn't it? Yes, it's gonna stick. Uh, But like, there's so many factors that we have to consider when we go into that round zero that you just have to be realistic and have to look at the player for what they are, what they can do to you, and whether you want to start them or not. Because I can guarantee you, if Tom Green goes 150 in round zero. I'll be having a serious conversation as to if I can start him because I think that he is someone that can take the game away from me, but I don't think that Flanders is someone that can take it away from you. So I'm curious, let, let's almost go the inverse. We've, we've kind of had a little bit of a buy conversation, an ownership conversation. Let's go the almost the exact opposite way. Players that had super unique ownership for, at that premium tier component, let's maybe set like a, a 5% and under range, um, there's a video coming out for in Supercoach uh, on our YouTube channel in the next couple of days, looking at, at a bunch of players that have got sco- just stupidly crazy low ownership that nobody's really having these conversations about, not telling people to pick them, but more just highlighting there are great prospects with really low ownership. I know we're focusing on AFL Fantasy in part, but just in Supercoach, for example, a Rowan Marshall's got a 6.8% ownership. And he was a top five scorer in the format for us there last year. And so, Rids, I guess my question is, when a guy that's got such low ownership levels and you're choosing to really back this guy in, where's the upside? Where's the risk point? Because we've talked about it from the high ownership level. Let's do the inverse now and look at it from a low ownership perspective. So the risk is if they suck and they're unique and the other guy pops. That's the risk because you know what? You're sucking by yourself then. You're not actually in the crowd and everyone's feeling the pain. That's the real hard thing with the uniqueness. Years ago when we were focused on DT more specifically, MJ, we were like, we have to find the unique guy that's going to pop and be ahead of the pack. Now, there's a real interesting balance with this, okay? We want to be ahead of the pack. Because at times, and we've all seen it firsthand, yeah, with groupthink. Because what happens is it just takes its own little momentum and just enters. Like last year, Jack Zebel's a perfect example. He went from, oh, yeah, you mentioned him in the preseason. Nah, not interested. Too old. Not going to be good. And then suddenly he started. The train started churning. And then suddenly Jack Zebel popped a couple of big scores. 
and groupthink went wild where he became the must-have guy. And if you didn't have him, and you know, I didn't end up jumping on that for a purpose to learn what happens. Mm. So what I learned was if you get it wrong and you are unique, whether you fade someone or select someone, you want it to be right. Otherwise, it hurts worse than someone popping that you missed, okay, with that 10-point difference. That's what hurts. You've got to be on the leading edge of the wave. You've got to be on the player before the big scores come. Like with Zeeble, he went absolutely massive around round three, round four. And some people had started jumping on after round one, after round two, and those were the ones that started to get away from the pack. Same with players that got onto Setterfield or Will Day early. Like these are the players that start to accelerate you. And I, I look at my starting squad from AFL Fantasy last year. I didn't start Setterfield. I didn't start Day. I didn't start Zeeble. But the priority of those trades early on was to, shit, I need to fix it. I need to get onto these players as fast as I can. And I think that that's where it can come from because those players weren't high owned to start off with. The ownership wouldn't have hurt you to start off with. But the minute they start going at 20 points above what they're priced at, you've just got to move onto them as, as fast as you can. I think with premiums, if you're going to go for the ones that are unique, you've got to go for the ones that have the upside and don't have a bad floor that can kill you. Like if you look at, let's say AFL fantasy, we're looking at players that could do that under 5% or owned. Someone like Caleb Daniel has upside associated with him, but he has an atrocious floor. We've hmm. seen his ability to be able to put out a 20 score, which for a premium is absolutely not on. You look at someone like uh, Lockie Whitfield, who's only 3% owned in AFL fantasy. He's got an amazing ceiling, but he has the propensity to get injured every now and then. You don't want to be writing that alone. But if you look at someone like Jaden Short, He's someone who's only 2% owned. Yes, there's a buy, and that's why people aren't considering him. But he has a pretty safe floor when he's playing on that halfback role, and we know that he has a ceiling. So if you're looking for someone who's a bit of a unique to kind of go against the pack with, then that might be someone that you want to take on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I like that. Um, the buys become this interesting conversation at kind of late December, mid-December when formats or team pickers came out. It was all about, oh, if it's a premium and a top-priced guy that is and getting one of these first, you know, four out of the six weeks that we start the year, don't even consider it, no there. And now we're at this interesting junction of the preseason where it's like, you can start anybody as long as you build your contingencies and structures and, and plans around it. I often find when the community kind of goes from one sweeping end to the other in a period of six to eight weeks, chances are that truth generally lands somewhere in the middle. And, and so my question for you both, and maybe Rids will start with you, is are we looking at these buys correctly or are we looking at them incorrectly? We haven't done a block of buys this early in the season of multiple teams ever. We've never done a best 18 like this ever. So there's a lot of unknowns, but are the swingings of the community right on this one? Or do we need to show a little bit more caution like was maybe promoted at the start of the year? 
Well, technically, MJ, we live in a different world, okay, where we have everything accessible to the our head, at the tip of our fingers, radio. We can get on social media and we try to build our brand, okay? So we've given a platform for anyone to just throw out anything. So what happens is when these new rules come into place, everyone overreacts and everyone just goes straight away and starts spewing on the social media outlets. Oh, no, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world. And then what happens is everything settles. The dust settles. Everything slows down. Everyone gets a bit of time to process it. And everyone's going, oh, you know what? It's not about the premiums that are missing the buy round. It's about who's covering the premiums in that best 18. It's got nothing to do with the premiums. And that's what we've been saying from the word go, yeah? The premiums that are missing whether it's a premium, mid-price or whatever, that blue dot allows you the ability to loop your bench rooks on to cover them. That allows you a VC to C loophole option for that week. That's your ability to make up your points as you go along. And that's why the day cost is so interesting, okay? Because mm. we talked about it in the day cost 50. That timing of fixture with that high ownership that means he's very valid as a VC option, like if you decide to go that way. And just so everyone's clear, I'm in the do not start day cost camp right now. But that could flip depending on whatever happens over the next couple of weeks, okay? So that's where I'm at at the moment. But it is. It's really, really hard. But you have to look at everything, not just the rule change, not just the premium that's missing. Look at everything. Let it settle. If you start, and this is the year to do it, MJ, mm. and I've I've said it last week on Fanatics, okay, and I think the guys nearly fell off their chair. Oh, how many rooks do you have on your midfield at the moment? And I said, one. And I think they were like, whoa, you know? And it's like, no, because I'm exploring stuff and I can always pivot if one of those other rooks pops i can always bring him on because it's only february yeah? yeah and that allows me a cash injection to go strengthen the other lines and whenever the players do it and i know we all do it differently yeah monk does it differently to me you've done it differently to me like we all want to play and explore and everything else i like to just set up a little bit deeper in the midfield so i can pivot off when they present and then go and strengthen the other lines. Because I already know the conversations, yeah? We all know that. So that's when you start exploring and processing along the lines. Oh, is it the M9? Is it Sanders? Is it Caulfield at D7 that's filling in for the Williams? Is it, like, do we have another rookie? And we're going to talk about rookies, and Monk wants to go on his um, long run in a sec. But the thing is, okay... Who's covering them? It's best 18 as well. How many guys do you really need on the field to get a good, decent score of best 18? Because if your best 18 premium slash mid prices out of your 22, you're likely to drop the four rook scores anyway, even if you have 22. So how much important is this? I don't know. I don't. I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I think we're overthinking this, okay, a bit. But I'll hand it over to Monk because I'm sure he's going to go a bit nutty about it. Well, a little bit, but I've actually got a question back for you, MJ. What's changed? 
it's not community perception that's just changed. What else has changed for us to be accepting of round zero premiums now? Time has probably been the biggest change for people. Time, time to think, time to consider, time to try and realize I might just be locking myself away or into something that I'm not happy with. Yeah, I think time is a good point. I'm a bit of a cynic because I don't think it's just time alone. I think it's that people are just going, I actually like this player. I just want to pick him instead. And you get hype comments from Dimmer Hardwick about Flanders. You see that, um, you know, Tom Green is getting 85% CBAs and looks like the main man in that GWS midfield. You see that Nick Dacos is playing through the midfield. You see that Kitty Coleman racks it up on half back. You see that, you know, all of these things happen and people just go, eh, I whatever, I'll just deal with it now. But nothing has changed. We're still in the same boat. We still have the same issues associated with round zero. Ritz has explained it really well about how scores can cover in, how it allows you to loophole as well. You get that VCC option if you've got a player on that week. If you've got cheaper players that you can loop on with, like, a I don't know, a Finn McRae, a Connor Buderick, an Alex Sexton, uh, a Zach Williams, these types of players allow you to have a go at rookie scores as well. The cheaper a player is, the less risk there is associated with them with the early buy. And the more expensive player is the more risk there is associated with them with that early buy i i'm still sticking pretty hard and fast to that i really don't want to start any early buy players unless i absolutely have to and that links back into the conversation we were having before about these players taking away a season from you but nothing has changed we still just need to consider it in exactly the same way we did when the season first opened up it's best 18 if you've got a hundred guy that misses and you've got a 50 score covering him that might be 50 points of downside. It might only be 30 points of downside associated with that particular round. But do the calculation yourself and have a think about how much you know upside and downside you're willing to accept on these players that you're choosing to start or not start. Yep, it's fair enough too. So on that, um, people are getting quite creative in how they cover players missing in these best 18 weeks. And probably the most creative space I've seen that is in the ruck line. The most popular one-two punch at the moment, I'm seeing a lot of spaces in terms of a combination, is a Gorn and a Grundy. I think most people have at least one of those two. And then we mentioned through the 50 with a number of different guys. Then it's Marshall, then it's English, and it's Tristan Cherry. And Rids and I were on an episode with AFL Fantasy Fanatics just last week talking about both of us think Cherry's actually the one that unlocks the conversation of how you structure up your rucks. And so some people are considering, well, with Gorn missing a week in round six and Grundy missing a week in round five, the best way to protect most available spots on field to activate their 22 is potentially putting a Tristan Cherry in at R3. It's a lot of money on the bench, but it does activate the opportunity for all 22 on-field spots to be able to be selected. So, Rids, what's your take on that? Where did this ideology, from your perspective, come from? And does it hold some water and some weight for us? So I think what happened, okay, is everyone's had it in the back of their mind. Is it possible? What happens? We all saw Briggs go nuts last year and make a heap of money. Okay, we always see Proust the year before make a heap of money in the rucks. The first rucks, when they're really value, they make the most money. That's just a given because they're the most secure in their role. But one of the most um, 
Well, one of the coaches I respect most in the AF circles, um, DT Lemon put it on the public forum with a tweet just recently. And I know Selby's had a discussion about it just recently as well. And they both are asking, exploring, is it viable? Is it not? Like, yes, it is viable because you can make a lot of money. But what are you missing is my question. What are you missing in spending that money on the bench in those lead-up games, those rounds leading up to round five, those four games? What are you missing on field points-wise? Because, yes, you're going to make a lot of cash with that, but why not just start Cherry then at R2? You know what I mean? Like, if you're that big, that Cherry's going to go at 85, 90, well, guess what? It's probably enough upside with enough cash left over to actually just start him and put him on field and strengthen another position and you get the best of both worlds. You can actually get really creative, yeah? Why not start Gorn and then trade into Grundy at round five or after round five when Gorn has to buy at round six? You can get creative with this stuff, like whatever. Like, But the whole thing, and I've said it to you, we made it very clear last week, yeah? It's Cherry that should be the first one locked in. And then you work out the strategies around the other two. But I personally think it's a bit of FOMO, okay? Mm. We've had Gondi before in our teams. We know what they can do as the first ruck. Yeah. We, we've seen it, yeah? We're like, I mean, the problem with Cherry is he's 24, MJ. He's had never had that possibility of being the first ruck and when he finally did last year we got this small sample size of a quarter before he got injured where he went nuts so the fact of the matter is it's a little bit we're gonna have to jump on cherry with a little bit of faith okay but at some point everyone breaks out when they hit a certain age bracket we do know this not everyone but the guys that are premiums have broken out every single one of them have broken out at some point to become a premium right now gorn did it a few years ago when he was actually behind mark jamar and then jumped ahead of him because he was just much better there's a reason why north melbourne moved goldstein oh. on yeah. Okay. There's a reason. Like they have faith in Cherry. So why we start discounting that and just because of FOMO, it does give me a little bit of a headache at times. So if, if we look at someone like Cherry, he's priced at 580,000 AFL fantasy. He's 380K above basement price. If you do the math, that's 42 points. Now we look at what Gorn's price at and we look at what Grundy's price at, they're priced at 92 and 75 respectively. And let's say that you cover your best 18 to a best 22. Let's say that your cover gets you 50 points. That sure. means on that week that Gorn misses round six, you lose 42 points. That's that price difference between Cherry and a basement rock. And for Grundy, it's 25 points. It's less than the price difference you're saving on Cherry. But then people go, well, there's the cash generation that you can get. But if you're crafty, you can still get that cash generation with a 380K in other ways on your field you can still find the other mid-prices to jump onto. It's 42 weeks additional of value that you can put onto your field every single week as well. I think that, yes, the argument is there to have. You can talk about it in kind of a, an academic sense, but I think it's just, it, it's, it's getting out of control. It's, it's not worth it. You've got to make the decision as to which two of those three that you want, or if you want to go for a more of a pot option, you know, you've got Marshall sitting there at 7%, English is at 13%. You've got these players that have shown that they can do it before that don't have that early buy. If that scares you and you don't want to do that, 
pair a uh, pair in English with cherry, pair a Marshall with cherry, or just go Gorn and Grundy if that's what you want to do. But I think that having cherry at R3 is just throwing away too many points for the, the security that you have an extra score to fill in for round five and round six. And you get that cash generation, but I think it's far outweighed about what you can do with that additional money prior to that point anyways. So you think about it, MJ. We're having a conversation, yeah. okay, about defence rookies, about your D8. Let's just say we got Toby. Oh, what's a pink? Is it Toby yeah, pink? Toby pink. pink. Yep. Yeah, pink. Okay. So you put 380 on his head, and suddenly if you're big on a Budrick, that's Budrick. That's what Correct. we're talking yeah. about, yeah? Put it into yeah. a name. If you own Gorn, you know what? I think every single serious coach wants Gorn, okay? We all love Gorn. We've loved mm. him for years. We, we've explored Gorn. But if you have Gorn in your, as your R1 or R2 right now, just swap him for Cherry and see what it does for your team and where it strengthens the lines. Just explore. This is preseason, yeah? This is what we should be doing. Have a bit. And I love the fact that someone like DT Lemon, as I say, I've got the utmost respect for the man, okay? He is exploring stuff and throwing conventional yeah. wisdom out there, making people think outside the box. I think it's awesome. Yeah. But And I think it's great. Everyone should be doing it instead of just – accepting what the current hyped narrative is and just doing it, just follow the leader, as you would say. I think a great example you've already mentioned in this episode is most people would say in their teams, I want at least two midfield, if not three midfield cash cows on field. But Rids, you've mentioned, no, I'm going seven other options, getting deeper cash cow options through my bench. And it's allowing me pathways of either starting guys that have early buys, trading moves elsewhere. People at Minimunk, you mentioned also through this episode, avoiding an anchor type forward like a Flanders or a McRae and getting a bit more creative in there. That That is the beauty of this time called now. And with opening round, we will get more relevant data points to start a season that we have ever had before. We will get a dice loaded for us with eight teams worth of early price movement indicators that we can absolutely maximize on here. So there is a world of opportunities for coaches to explore that, as you both mentioned, when we ignore and lock out and only think about quote unquote conventional or tried and tested wisdom, we might be missing a trick in 2024. I just wanted to call out something for R0 as well. Don't mm. be stubborn. Don't lock yourself out of someone who's playing R0 because otherwise you have that tendency to be stubborn and you're sold on the idea. Let's just say people that have burnt us in the past. Jack Billings, whether it's Fantasia, whoever it is, it doesn't matter the name, okay, don't lock yourself out of those opinions on that. Let round zero happen and then make a more informed decision based on the round zero data that you've just got for free. It's a it's a cheat code. Let's just and I heard Holmes he's referring to it. It really is. Don't lock yourself out of something because you're being stubborn and you're trying to just play the game as you did two years ago. Yeah. So before we wrap up the episode, I, I want to talk to you boys, uh, uh, specifically many of who I want to ask you about our cash cows. It's always interesting. I, I love being able to watch it. You know, different content creators, team reveals or across social media formats of Instagram, X and Facebook. People are loving putting their community team out there, looking for some feedback and opinion. And there's some commonality of names I'm seeing on our 
defensive lines, sort of seven and eight. Gibkus, Pink, Phillips, Curtin, Marty Hoare, like guys that were all going, yep, we think they're going to play, but what do all these guys have in common? They're all, if they are playing, a key position defenders. Is there a potential risk factor of the way we're structuring up? Because we're moving beyond the hypothetical now of when we're in December and January of, yeah, I like this. Yeah, he'll play. Yeah, he'll play. It's now getting to the critical element of, are they in best 22 calculations or are they just squad depth? I think it's really, really tricky at the moment in that defensive line. I think it's going to be very similar to what we had. I think it was in 2022 where we had Paddy McCartan and Sam DeConing as, you know, rookie defenders. We had them on our bench, but they were just slow, slow burns. They were pumping 50s, 55, 60s. I think they ended up getting into about the 400K marker in AFL Fantasy and, you know, the high 200s, low 300s in, in Supercoach. But that's all they needed to do. They just needed to be a heartbeat. They just needed to buy that slow burn cash generation. And so then when you're looking at that D7 and D8 position in our teams for this year, if we don't have any of those high generations, those defender rookies that actually have a role where it isn't playing as a key tool, which, spoiler at this stage, I'm not sure we do get any, but what are we doing? Like, how are we just going to sit them there? We want to go for the ones that have the best job security. That might be the likes of Pink, where they don't have many key defenders down there for North Melbourne, and they're going to see a lot of ball. That might be someone like Phillips, or it's exactly the same. They might see a lot of ball down back there, and they've got a lot of injuries already. Um, might be someone like Gibkiss, because he has that round zero game, and he gets the accelerated price cash generation as a result of that. But you need to look for the ones that have the better job security rather than the higher upside for scoring potential, because I think that the ones that have the higher upside for scoring potential have the worst job security associated with them. Yes, some good advice. Boys, you've been absolute superstars for us on this episode, helping people unpack. Yes. I just wanted to add one more thing to that discussion, okay? Have a look at the round two and round three by. Um, who are they yeah, playing, okay? Yeah, Who's pickup. in your team? Like, I can tell you now, okay, let's just look at Hawthorne, okay? If you're choosing a keeper of key position defender they play melbourne in round two and they play geelong in round three geelong is pretty difficult to have you know there's a couple of massive monsters at geelong that could take your game away pretty quickly so and you have a look at the other ones i think um someone like um who was the other one sorry um the north melbourne Melbourne. guy yeah so the north melbourne fella is on Fremantle, okay in round two and then carlton round three Oh, pretty tall. Okay. Oh. I think Gibkiss has even got an um, unfriendly matchup in one of two of those games. It's like these guys don't have good opposition to play against. So the likelihood of them pop in Richmond, they go Port Adelaide and Sydney just to complete it. We've got the Dixon, Finlayson, Sydney, obviously, with all their guys, McDonald's, whether it's yeah. McLean, whether it's McDonald, all the Max. Um just be aware of who's playing, where they're playing. Like, at least with Gibkiss right now in round two and three, he's playing at the MCG. That's yeah. that's actually not a bad option in my eyes. But go and do a bit of research. Do a bit of homework. Don't just sit there and cry, Paul, that we're not going to have anything. But expect lower scores. Expect 35s, 40s. Don't expect day cost like figures or she's or like stats okay yeah these are guys that are going to drop out of your 
on field 22 and, and you'll be very, very thankful that you've got a best 18 rolling through there. So that might be another variable to factor in with how many of these omitting blue dot options that you want to have. Okay, if this is what you're bringing on field, your risk profile is getting elevated potentially just that little bit more than you like. Hey, Mini Monk, it's great to have you back on the episode, mate. Uh, congratulations uh, on getting back <laughs> involved in uh, just getting back involved in the community. You're just yeah, yep. just getting convicted, mate. That's fine. Yeah, That's yeah. on you, mate. Hey, privileged to have you back on the podcast again in 2024, mate. Good to be back. Good to be back. And Rids, mate, always a pleasure. I know every single time I think I'm about to wrap up an episode, you've still got something else to say. So I'll give you a last call before I wrap us up. Anything else, Rids? It's good to see that Monk's just eased his way back into it as well since he's been in the country. Why? He did ball boys. He's on Fanatics tomorrow's coaches panel today. He doesn't get around much, does he? He is the coach's panel ambassador. He is the he is the most liked one of the three of us. Rids, well, he's going to have to make up a few more, MJ, if he's going to catch Vams, who's just, he's the town bike this preseason. So he's everywhere. We, we've uh, been very, very grateful for some of the great content creators that have joined in with us this preseason. If you've loved this episode and you're watching it on YouTube, make sure you've subscribed if you haven't already done so and leave a like and a comment on the review. What do you think about some of these elements and strategy points that Rids and me monk have mentioned if you are watching this on youtube you can comment below and let us know if you're listening back to this through spotify apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast from make sure you've subscribed and left a five star rating and review and you can also become a part of our patreon supporter group there is an ton of bonus content you get our 2024 rookie guide is not too far away it's a big document it is also got a podcast that sits alongside that as well as a ton of other rewards during the preseason and season proper if you want to join our patreon supporter group all the details are in the description of this episode so we got another big week of fantasy footy to watch. The official matches get underway. The official practice games will have plenty of reviews to come back to you from those games and plenty of other strategy conversations as we get closer to the start of 2024 fantasy footy. Yeah.